This is the Fix Your Sciatica Podcast. In the growing quest to pain relief, I often get asked, Ashley, what medication should I be taking? But also, I see this in social media where people are asking their community what types of medications they should be taking for their pain. And realistically, because everybody's pain is individual to themselves, it's important for us providers to understand what is the source of pain and is or will uh, medications actually help. And so I wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive. And so I went directly to the source, the professionals who know all about the chemistry um, and interactions of drugs and prescription medications. And so today I have Dr. Bailey Schroeder, who's a pharmacist and is just a brilliant human being. And I'm so thankful for her to be able to take the time out of her day and evening to share some of her knowledge. And so today we're going to be talking about tricyclic antidepressants and that class of medications and that how that is actually going to be uh, affecting um, pain and why some people would be prescribed this uh, in the first place. But before we go and take a deep dive into that, let's introduce Dr. Bailey. Bailey, so great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to nerd out a little bit, talk about medications. Um, and yes, like like you said, I am a pharmacist. I am a community pharmacist. So I have been doing that since graduation. And I work in a small independent pharmacy in a little community. And I love what I do there. Um, it's a safe place to work for me to do my job well. I get to know the patients. And we offer some fun expanded services. And it's really how retail pharmacy should be. So that's what I do. And then the other thing that I do is I'm a precision medicine pharmacist and I focus on pharmacogenomics. And that is basically how your DNA can impact how you respond either well or not well to medications. And so my goal is to make medication really personalized to the patient because that's absolutely how it should be. And that's how they get the best impact. I love that. It's um, I'm so glad that you talk about the the genetics behind it because there's some really interesting. Uh, it's a the genetics is a very interesting spectrum because you'll have some folks in the scientific community who are going to say genes are everything, and then you're going to have other people on the other end of the spectrum who are going to say genes have no role. It's really the environment. It's this concept of like nature versus nurture, and especially when it comes to just dealing with our health, we have so many different outcome measures that we can use to measure progress. But a large part of it is we have to figure like when we have adverse reactions, or if we take medications, and there's little to no benefit, we do ask the question, well, why isn't this working? Is it the fact that it's the wrong medication, because of the fact that it's treating the wrong condition? Or is it the medication is supposed to treat the condition I'm trying to fix? but my genetics don't allow me to do that. So it's really exciting to be able to take an even more individualized approach. And the reality is that we all have very unique chemistries um, and it is important for us to be able to take into account that, especially when it comes to looking at medications. And I know for myself as a physical therapist, I don't have any role in medication management. I can say, 
okay, well, maybe do your exercises around your medication. But when it comes to saying, okay, this medication should help or not help, I'm going to leave that to physicians and pharmacists such as yourself. So let's talk a little bit more about this class of medications, tricyclic antidepressants. I think when a lot of people get prescribed that by the time like they're experiencing pain, they go to their doctor and they're getting prescribed that they're thinking, doc, I, I like respect you, but I'm not depressed. I don't know why you're giving mm-hmm. me antidepressants to manage this pain. And then they take it and it helps or they don't take it. And it doesn't help. So um, if you can tell us a little bit more about the, the class and what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So tricyclic antidepressants have been around for a long time. Their name comes from their actual structure. There's three rings, tricyclic, and they are used for a variety of things. They were initially made for major depressive disorder. They have now evolved into being used for neuropathic pain, OCD, uh, migraine prevention, fibromyalgia. We don't use it as often first line for depression anymore because of its side effects. And we have more favorable ones now, but it's really evolved into being used for these other indications, specifically nerve pain too. And so when we talk about pain itself, now listeners, we've covered about how pain is a a very uh, unique experience. So if you look at it, it's it's an experience and it's hard for us to actually be able to measure it because it's what you're what you in fact are experiencing. So the best way for us to measure it is on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being the greatest pain ever, zero being no pain whatsoever, no pain at all. And what's really interesting about pain, and we discussed this in previous episodes, is that there's various different mechanisms that happen in the body and brain in the presence of an injury, but also just pain itself. And so um, when it comes to the various different pain mechanisms, you have what is called the gate control theory. We have central sensitization. We have uh, actual chemical irritant. We also have physical blockages as well, which is causing the pain. And this word that Bailey said was neuropathic pain. And oftentimes neuropathic pain is very, it's, it's synonymous with nerve pain, nerve pain, which Oftentimes when you're having an irritated sciatic nerve, you're going to have that deep ache, that sharp shooting, that burning, pins and needles, electricity that expands all the way down from your back down to your foot in some cases. And so when you have an irritated nerve like sciatica, it can actually fall in line with, say, the aspects of neuropathic pain. So when it, um, from, from a nerve pain standpoint, if I may, Bailey, um, let's talk a little bit more about like how, say, something like tricyclic antidepressants, like how that actually kind of works. I know that you kind of briefly talked about like what it is, but let's talk a little bit more, kind of geek out a little bit in regards to the chemistry (laughs) and what that's like. Yeah, I wish I had a clear answer for you. Pain, like you said, is um, very variable and they're still trying to understand the mechanism behind it. But the way TCAs or tricyclic antidepressants work is they are mixed serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. So when they prevent the reuptake of those neurotransmitters, that actually increases the amount of them working. So it results in an increase in serotonin and norepinephrine. And they suggest that some aspects of nerve pain or sciatica 
comes from an imbalance of those two neurotransmitters in the pain blocking pathway. So they're not entirely sure, but that is where they hypothesize that they come into play. Within that class, there's secondary and tertiary TCAs, and some of them act more on the norepinephrine side, and some act more on the serotonin side. And actually, your DNA plays a role in which class of those, the subclass, would best work for you. So they definitely need to study it more, but it's really commonly used. It's actually, this class is the fourth most common medication used for back pain in the U.S. And I think it's in Canada, when one of these medications is used, it's more often used for nerve pain than for depression. So although we don't know, we like to use them because they have shown some benefit. This episode is brought to you by the Patient Advocate Program. Are you tired of not having support between your rehab sessions? Introducing the Patient Advocate Program, more focused on your recovery and more offering you 24-7 access to a doctorate of physical therapy. Stop waiting in line to be seen and stop spending hours doing long exercise programs. Imagine being able to get all of your care delivered straight to your phone. Best of all, it's affordable. We believe everyone deserves top-notch relief without breaking the bank. So why wait? Take control of your health today and visit PT Patient Advocate advocate.com and book your free call with our experts. Yeah, that's the that's the really wild thing about pain science itself. It's like some some of these things actually do work and then it's like why and we and I'm and I really appreciate you saying we know it works but we're not really quite sure why that works. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's uh, one of the cool things um, from a magic standpoint and um, what's really interesting, um, you're, you're talking about these two neurotransmitters, norepinephrine and serotonin. Um, and what uh, the, these two neurotransmitters, these, these chemicals, uh, actually function in regards to this interaction between nerves. And when you have nerve pain, there, uh, as Bailey said, there could be an imbalance. So to be able to address that um, actually does allow people to have some form of uh, pain relief, which is very important and really, really helpful. And so it's uh, it's really cool because I didn't know that much about it um, because I know that they would use these tricyclic antidepressants, but not really quite sure why. But let's talk about what's really interesting is that um, I know that in the population with depression, when they use it to treat depression, it was more of like a therapeutic aspect where it, I, I'm assuming it was probably for, say, longer term. For the most part, when it comes to nerve pain, we're looking at trying to get rid of the nerve pain. And so um, when it comes to taking these medications for nerve pain itself, tell us a little bit more about kind of like the speed. I wish that, you know, when we take a magic pill, it, you know, the moment you swallow it, it starts to become active. But is it more of like you take it and 30 minutes later it starts to kick in or does it have to accumulate over a period of days before you start to feel the effects? Yeah, and it's really interesting because certain classes of antidepressants you have to take for six to eight weeks to even reach the optimal benefit. With this class, in the trials that they studied, you have to continue for at least three weeks. So from zero to two weeks, patients did not see a benefit um, or a reduction in their pain or improvement in their ability to function. But 
from three weeks up to 12 months is as long as they studied it, that's when they showed benefit. So they don't take as long as other antidepressants, but unfortunately you have to be patient. Understandable. Yeah. It's, um, and especially dealing with pain when you're trying to figure it out, it's problem solving. And, uh, this is just another tool to be able to see, can this be helpful? One th question that came to mind and I didn't get a chance to send it to you right away, but, um, I'm just going to ask you on the spot. So when it comes to the nervous system, when it comes to nerve pain, um, their nerves are classified into two specific areas. Well, we, one, we call the peripheral nervous system. So it's anything that's outside of your brain and spinal cord, and then we have the central nervous system. And so for looking at these uh, SSRIs, tricyclic antidepressants, is this where it's actually addressing something more on like a local basis, say like in someone's back or more, uh, more like in the brain, the chemical processes up there based on your, based on what you've come across? From what I understand and what they suggest is this is affecting the central nervous system. So it will not be localized. And that's what contributes to some of these side effects is it goes all over. And when it affects the central nervous system, we get some of those side effects associated with like the drowsiness, the dizziness, um, especially in the older population. So it does go everywhere, um, which is great when maybe you might not be able to pinpoint where the pain is coming, but the side effects do come along with that. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, I think it's important listeners that when you are um, say speaking with your physicians, physical therapists or chiropractors, trying to identify what the, what the source of your pain is. Now, oftentimes if we're dealing with say central nervous system changes, more often than not, you are going to be dealing with what we would consider in the chronic stage of pain. And so if you look at it, the first 12 weeks of an injury, even for sciatica pain, you're going to be dealing with a lot of localized inflammation and you're going to be having more of like a direct and localized expression of pain. So we're trying to, during that stage, to remove the chemical irritant that's that's uh, flaring up your sciatic nerve. We also need to move whatever bones or discs out of the way so the sciatic nerve doesn't get irritated. But once you have crossed the barrier of 12 weeks of being in pain, there are going to be what we call central changes. Your brain actually will get used to experiencing this pain and it becomes more of a habit and a behavior. And so in some cases, when we're transitioning into more of the centralized aspect where um, you are using something like the TCAs, we're looking at, okay, what are the patterns in your head, the patterns of pain that your brain is uh, playing through? And not to say that like, since the pain is in your head, you're imagining things. The pain that you're experiencing is very, very real, but it does allow us to consider, okay, well, if we're addressing the central nervous system, our brain is conditioned to feel this pain. In my end, as a physical therapist and, and, and working with people, is saying, all right, well, if you're taking these, we're kind of, I like to say, we're calming the storm. There's a, there's a big storm that's happening in the brain. And as we're calming down the storm, it's my job to actually introduce movements and activities to you that are safe, that are truly safe and also talking with you and your nervous system saying that these activities are safe and you can do them. And with the combination of this stuff, 
um, it allows you to safely re-enter back into living life with either no pain or significantly less pain. And so I'm, and I'm, I'm so glad. Thank you so much for sharing the, the side effects. I think you said dizziness, drowsiness, um, any other things that I'm missing from a side effect standpoint? Yeah, I'll absolutely touch on those. And that's kind of why we stray away from these for depression. Um, they have anticholinergic properties, meaning they're very drying. So dry mouth, blurred vision, urinary retention, constipation. That would be the drying aspect of these medications. They can cause orthostatic hypotension. So meaning your blood pressure has a hard time catching up when you're moving from different positions. And we'd be more concerned with that for elderly people. There is some drowsiness associated with it because it has some histamine properties. So it would be helpful to take these at night if you're experiencing that during the day. And then there are some cardiac concerns. So we can touch on this on who would be a good candidate for it, but it can have some cardiac effects. So we have to be very cautious with people who have pre-existing conditions um, to make sure that it's safe for them to use. Yeah. And this brings up the, the next question, which I think is very important because oftentimes people will get prescribed medications, uh, say from multiple doctors, and it can be challenging because we may have some drug interactions. And I've seen that in my patients. And whenever I come across that and working with my patients and they're showing me their list of medications, I actually say, please communicate this with your physician because it's not my job. It's like, so if we're looking at it, if we're, someone's taking tricyclic interpret antidepressants right now or considering um, it, what are some uh, medical interactions or medical considerations that they should take into account before doing uh, taking, taking this? Yeah, there's a lot to consider, which is why absolutely you have to have a very in-depth discussion. And I know it's so hard to cover a lot of this with a 15-minute appointment with the doctor. There's so much to cover. But that's why us pharmacists, we love sitting down and taking more time with patients one thing that I look at is specific drug interactions. So are you taking medications that work similarly or are you taking medications that have similar side effects? So if you are on other antidepressants with different classes, so like a Prozac, a Lexapro, those also increase serotonin and that can increase your risk of developing a very rare condition called serotonin syndrome. So that's something to be mindful of. Other drugs that are drying, so antihistamines like a Benadryl, some of the antipsychotics or drugs to treat Parkinson's are also drying and that will really enhance the side effects that come with TCAs as well. Um, the last thing that I think of is we kind of discussed it's working in, with the central nervous system. So other medications that work in the central nervous system you can get the same or enhanced drowsiness, confusion, dizziness. So even caution with a lot of alcohol or a Xanax for anxiety or an Ambien, things that also alter the way your brain is working. It would be important to be mindful of those. It doesn't mean that you absolutely can't take these, but it's certainly a discussion and we can pick certain ones within the class that would play more nicely with those than some other ones. Really helpful. I, I think uh, as we all get older and as, I mean, we get more exposed to, to medications, it is important um, to be able to 
to really see these interactions so then that way we're not overlapping or, or compounding some of the effects. Um, which then brings us to the, my next question is from your clinical background in regards to like, what, what would be like some prime candidates for, or what are some qualities of, of a candidate that would benefit from something like this? Sure. So I'll actually start with people who wouldn't be good candidates because that's a smaller list. Um, so for people that I think it would be best to try a different option would be if you are pregnant, if you have a family history of cardiac arrhythmias, um, that would be really important to try something else because of that risk of cardiac side effects. If you're older, um, we generally say 65 and older, it's always personalized, but they tend to be more sensitive to those drying effects and the drug interactions. However, there are two ones two drugs in the class that would be better options to try. Anyone with a history of seizures, there is a slight increased risk of seizure activity if you already have an underlying condition. And children, it does have a black box warning for this class that it can actually increase suicidal thoughts in adolescence and up to 24 years of age. So it's just something to be mindful of. That's the same for all antidepressants, though. So just proceed with caution with that. And then there's a couple different options for people with impaired liver and kidney function. We just have specific medications to choose over some other ones. Would I? So those are the people that I would prefer to try something else or really have a more in-depth discussion. What I really like about these medications is they're cheap, relatively cheap. They're all available as generics. There are a lot in the class. So if your insurance company doesn't cover one of them, or if you have side effects from one of them, we have 10 more options to try. Um, they are dosed lower when used for pain than they are for depression. So hopefully that can mitigate some of the side effect risks. And these are oral medications, they're not injectables, and they're also not controlled. So we see pregabalin and gabapentin or Lyrica, and all those used often in nerve pain, those are controlled medications in most states. So with these ones, there's just less hoops to jump through um, in the filling process and they don't have the risk of being habit forming or building tolerance to it. Really, really helpful information. I think that uh, we're able to like, what this conversation right now is kind of like, um, I mean, I would often see like pharmaceutical ads on TV and it was like, okay, here are all these things. And then every side effect or every consideration is either like written small form or then they say it really, really fast. So it gives us the opportunity to be a little bit more in depth and share the information and make it more digestible. Because even when you do pick up your medication from the pharmacy, um, there's still like, I know in some cases you're going to have some pretty comprehensive like information, but in some cases it's a lot to digest. And so I think that's, uh, it's, this, is ex this has been extremely helpful, Bailey, to be able to shed some light on a medication that could actually help um, if prescribed and if used in the right way for the right people. Mm -hmm. And so 
you're a retail pharmacist. And so what that means is that you have the opportunity to interact with the folks who come in to pick up their own prescriptions. And so you might not be able to give the best questions to have these patients tell their doctors, but what are some of the things that um, a, a patient who comes in to pick up medications, what are some uh, useful questions or considerations they, that they should be bringing to, the, to you, the pharmacist, to make it a lot easier for them? This wasn't in the questions, but I thought it just came to mind. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, honestly, just starting the conversation is so helpful. I totally understand people bring that packet of information home that gets printed out with their medications. And I've had people call just panicking over that. And really just if they have time and if they have a pharmacist who has time to sit down and have this discussion of here's the risk, but here's the benefits. And this is why this could be beneficial for you for or not, because we want everyone to be on board with the plan. And that's how you really get the most benefit from it. Your doctor can tell you to take something and it can send it, they can send in the prescription. That doesn't mean it gets picked up. Uh, that doesn't mean the insurance will cover it. That doesn't mean that it's not optimized to you specifically. So really bringing up those concerns is so important because we love to share our knowledge. And if we can help you feel confident in the decision that you're making for yourself and for your health, that's what is really going to help you have success, um, whether it's for pain or for any other condition. Absolutely. You got to listeners, if you are, are ever feeling uh, concerned, nervous, or have questions, there, there's no such thing as a stupid question. And so even when you're speaking with a pharmacist, even with me, any provider that you're working with, if something comes to mind and you're nervous or anxious about something, bring it up because we can't read minds. And because we can't read minds, we can't address every concern that you have unless you share it with us. Now, in some cases, people might be limited by time, which I'm so glad that Billy said if they have time. And so um, it is important when I mean, you have those concerns, bring it up and really advocate for yourself so you can actually uh, make the best decisions for you and your recovery. Um, now, Bailey, um, earlier in this episode, as you're introducing yourself to us, uh, you are involved in pharmacogenomics. Um, and so tell us a little bit more about uh, your, your company, how you help people and what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I have recently discovered. It's a growing field, but it's so important. And there's so much information to back how helpful it could be. So you know that your DNA affects your eye color, your hair texture, but it absolutely plays a role in how you respond to medications. And just for an example, with tricyclic antidepressants, they get broken down two different ways and you have a status for those two pathways. And if you are, let's say you're an ultra rapid, that means the medication is going to fly through your body, get broken down, and you won't see any benefit. And now you've spent money on going to the doctor's office to get it prescribed, you've picked it up, you've wasted time trying it, you've been in pain for it to not work. Or you could be a poor metabolizer, meaning it's like driving through a school zone, all the cars are backed up and now you have all this drug built up in your body 
and you feel awful, you have awful side effects from it. And that's something that we could have known ahead of time. And so what I do is it's a simple cheek swab. We send it to the lab. It comes back and I interpret the results. And you have this information that you can apply to tons of different medications. So it applies to pain medications like codeine and tramadol that people we see used for chronic pain. It applies to cardiac medications, other antidepressants, other stomach medications. And so in the end, it's a guide for your prescriber truly for the rest of your life to help decide which one would be best for you. And it's really a safer way to go about it because some of these cancer medications, you don't get a second chance if your DNA didn't agree with it. So I just feel really strongly it's a safe way to go about things. And I really feel like in the future, this will just be the norm, kind of like blood typing is. And I I dream of that day, but that's what I do. And I love doing it. I spend lots of time with patients and really sit down with them and get to know them on a bigger picture. So if you're interested in either in the testing or just optimizing your medications, it's just drbaileyschroeder.com, drbaileyschroeder.com. You can also find me on Instagram at my company's name, Get Informed with two M's. And there you can find a link to my newsletter. I send out medication tidbits. And I think that's really fun too and helpful for, you know, cold season. Which flu shot should I get? I heard about a new medication coming out. Is it safe? And I like to send little tidbits like out out that, um, I like to send tips like that out to people as well. I love that. Yeah, this is certainly the future to be able to look at you as an individual. It's another point for us to be able to understand your chemistry. I just dropped something, um, but your chemistry and also the best ways to take care of you. And that's the most important part, listeners, is that you have people like Bailey, like me, everyone out there that is in the focus of helping you get better and get well. And if you are feeling hopeless and want to remind you that there are people like us who are helping others and that you don't ever have to give up and that there's hope for you to recover because we exist. So Bailey, thank you so much for your time. I'm so excited for uh, the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. I hope if this helps one person, then it's so worth it. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider.